0: Here we go. All right. Finally, we are ready. We made it. <laughs>
1: Tonight we are talking to Jeremy Mhm. And he I... is a writer, director, producer, producer, lover. Filmmaker, <laughs> filmmaker extraordinaire. OK, Jeremy, I noticed your hellfire t shirt. Yes. Stranger things.
2: Um, no, actually, the new movie that I'm uh, going to be directing in like two weeks. Um, yeah, it's just a really weird coincidence that Hellfire and um, the Hellfire Club has become a thing over the last you know few months. Um, I've actually <laughs> been working on this film for two years now, um, like pre-production and like script writing and all that stuff. I mean, I didn't write the original screenplay. I was hired to direct it. And uh, it came to me as Hellfire, and then, boom! Stranger Things comes out and has Hellfire Club, and and everybody's talking about that. So uh, it's just a really weird coincidence, especially because we're just about to go into production on it.
1: Oh wow, that is that is amazing. So actually, you could look at that as kismet, like it's meant to be.
2: <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, I, I can look <laughs> at it
1: as right you know, it. yeah. Hey, yeah. you never know.
0: You might grab some new audience um, eyes there. That's that's yeah. the hope. So yeah,
1: anyway. yeah. <laughs> yeah. the universe is, is aligning for you at this particular time.
0: Yeah. So we are just a, a month or so away from the Houston Horror Film Fest. Are yeah. you excited? Uh,
2: yes and no. Um, mostly because, like I said, I am literally about to start filming Hellfire. I mean, I have a promotional appearance for it this weekend at Tampa Bay Screams. And then the very next weekend is when we start production, and so for the next month, uh, I'm going to be literally, you know, in production. Mm. So Houston Horror Film Festival will be my sort of resurfacing <laughs> after after the chaos that is production. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm excited. I mean, it'll be the first promotional thing we do for Hellfire after we've actually been able to film it. Um, so I, am excited for that. And I'm excited to hang out with everybody that, you know, I know and love in Houston. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, a I, like I'm so focused right now on production that it's hard for me to see beyond that. Um, I know it's coming, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah it's, 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 I'm excited, but really, really more nervous about production right now.
1: Yeah. What is that like? I mean, the whole process. So, so you wrote the script, you were you got the funding, you're going into production. Give us a.
2: Well, so this is the first project I've done that I didn't actually write. Um, I well, the first project I've done that I've directed, I mean, I've been on other projects where you know someone else wrote it and directed it, all that sort of stuff. But this is the first one I've directed that I didn't actually write the original story for. Um, my buddy Sean, who runs a company called Gatorblade Films in Florida, he came up with the original story. Uh, a friend of his, Andrew Allen, wrote the original script. Um, I sort of took it and, and polished it up and made it according to what I knew I could get in Houston and the surrounding areas. And, uh, yeah, um, it like I said, it's been a long two years. Uh, I literally signed the contract in July of 2020 Mm. and here we are June of 2022, finally about to go into production. We were supposed to go into production in January. Um, Actually, when I met you ladies at uh, Houston Horror Film Fest last year, we had just um, filmed our teaser for our Indiegogo to, to raise the money with the intention of going into production in, in the following September. And just one thing, or you know, led to another, and we just weren't able to pull that off. So we, we set production to start in January. And the day before we were supposed to set foot on set, we had multiple breakthrough cases of COVID. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. I mean, we had everything lined out. We had already paid all this money for locations and Airbnbs and flights okay. and everything you can think of. And literally 24 hours before I was supposed to be calling action we got the word that not just one, but like multiple calls within a few hours of breakthrough cases of COVID. So we we had to make the decision to completely shut down and just say, you know what, we'll regroup, we'll come back. We were originally gonna do it in May, um, but it just didn't make sense with everything else going on. So we said, okay, June. So now (laughs) we are less than two weeks away from production again. Um, So I'm, I'm like this weird mix of ultra anxiety and nerves and just, I'm, I'm also ready for it to be done, (laughs) you know, because like I said, it's been two years of my life so far and it'll probably still be another year of, you know, I mean, we'll be, we'll be finished with the edit and everything long before that, but, you know, we've got the promotional stuff we'll have to do afterwards Um, I mean, I'll have to be, you know, making appearances on podcasts and all that sort of stuff, trying to get the word out and, you know, then going through the hoops of distribution and all that. So it's like there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, But I'm just I'm ready to be on set because everything that leads up to it is just like the worst kind of anxious hell that you could, especially because you know, being a, a very, very small production company, um, yeah. a lot of it is all on my shoulders. I mean, yeah. I have a great crew and a great cast, but uh, the day-to-day stuff is is me. Um, and I've literally been doing this for two years. So I'm ready to be on set and actually creating. That's right. where I feel like I'm my best, you know? Because even though it's it is high stress, um, it's still there's just no no feeling quite like it. I mean, I've never been a big drug guy. <laughs> but I can only imagine that it, the high that I get from being on set is like the best drug there is, and it's perfectly legal. Um, yeah. But I'm constantly chasing that dragon. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I heard Nikki Six talk about that once on his podcast.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you know I'm a huge. Nicky Six fan. I'm, i used to be a musician. So um I guess I still am. I don't, don't really play anymore. Um it's it's funny. I actually I used to be in bands and then I was a roadie for a little while and I actually got away from music because I was tired of the egos. Mm. And so I thought, I'll go into film because there's no egos in film, right? Oh, so, oh. Of course oh. No. <laughs> no
1: egos the air. <laughs> yeah.
2: So completely, yeah different world you, but what's that
1: i was gonna ask you about music because i see the treble on your arm what did you play
2: um i was a drummer um again okay. i guess once a drummer always a drummer um from the time i was six pretty much um i got my first little like cheap toy drum set when i was six it was like a birthday gift and uh my late sister and i Did like, you know, stuff in our bedrooms, you know, she played piano and I played drums and we would just, you know, write silly songs from the time we were little kids. And then, you know, joined high school band, Um, we'll join, you know, middle school band, of course, and then went up and did high school band, you know, and then wanted to be, wanted to be a rock star. You know, like that was my, my goal was to, to do music. And uh, I did go on tour for a little while. Like I said, I was a roadie for a little bit.
0: Mm. And
2: I I just got really tired of the grind, um, especially because like the P, the bands that I was touring with were not huge bands, you know. These were bands that were like kind of road dogs, you know. Like they had been at it for a really long time, and uh, and they weren't really making a lot of money. And so I kind of saw the the uglier side, you know. I mean, we were still traveling in fairly nice accommodations. It wasn't like we were all in a little beater pinto or something trying to you know, scrape together gas money to make it to the next show. But it still was guys that were in their uh, 40s and 50s and just they'd been at it for so long and had never really quite made it to that upper echelon. I mean, one of the bands that I toured with that shall remain nameless at this point, the front man for it, is in a very legendary band.
1: Oh, I really want to know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but at the time he was touring with his solo band, that was very different. Like he went from being the arena rock guy to be playing, you know, in like respectable size theaters. Um, but, and and oddly enough, he then went and rejoined his previous band and they're still, they're playing, you know, five, six thousand, ten thousand 10,000 seater type venues. Um, but yeah, I had seen like just the the shift in the music industry, um, especially when it comes to, you know, piracy and downloading and uh, all that sort of stuff. And I saw, you know, guys basically having to work day jobs while they're still living their dream. And I mean, and I, and I'm doing that now, but I'm doing it with film. And uh, it's but for me, it's just a completely different experience um, just because I, you know, I, I, I can I'm pretty much the, the God and master of my own, you know, kind of destiny when it comes to film, you know, and so it just it hits different for me. You know, yeah. and then music every day. I mean, I'm still a huge music fan. I still, I still, you know, we'll will tinker on stuff like I'll I'll play guitar every now and then and piano and stuff. But um, that's just for my own personal enjoyment. And I did I did write a music piece that wound up in my last film, Pickaxe. Um, that was just like an end credit thing, you know, something I put together in like five minutes. And, and so I may do stuff like that because, you know, John Carpenter is like one of my probably my biggest influence as a filmmaker. And he's always done his own music, his own score. So uh so that part is always inside me, but I just don't really have the desire to be a rock star anymore. It's just not not what I want to do.
1: It sounds like uh that saying um you do what you love and you won't have to work a day in your life. So it seems like
2: Which is, you're- it's funny because that's the opposite. It's find what you love and you will work every single waking minute it's but just it doesn't feel like work it, it can though <laughs> I mean, and, and i say this having been very cynical over the last couple of months because of of everything going on with running my own production company and trying to get this thing kind of cranked up and going you know and like i said when i'm on set i'm okay Like, once I get to set and I call action for the first time, I'll settle in. Right now, I'm like a bundle of nerves, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it feels a lot like work, especially because I have a day job. So, like, trying to do the day job and do all the film prep at the same time, while also trying to prep for the road trip to Tampa to do the promotional appearance...
1: (laughs) It's yeah.
2: Like, I you mean I'm I'm like running on no sleep, and I had cut caffeine out for a while, and I'm back to drinking way too much caffeine a day now. You okay. know, I'll, I'll like that through production, I'm sure.
1: Keep an eye on your blood pressure.
2: Keep an mm. eye on your blood
1: pressure.
2: Yeah, that's sure. one thing that I need to do better.
1: <laughs> yeah, Chantel plays drums too. I notice that every time we have a guest on we have something in common with them. One of us does at least, and so Chantel plays drums. Y'all have that in common. So you mentioned Pickaxe.
2: Mm, Yes. We both
1: watched it last night. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We watched it, not together, but we watched it on
0: Tubi.
2: Oh, right on.
1: and I want to say congrats to you because this is what I was telling Chantel. Like everybody starts, you know, somewhere. Like Quentin Tarantino had a first movie, or I'm not saying that's your first, but I'm just saying that we all start somewhere. So sure. I enjoy the fact that you are living your dream. You are doing, you put the action into it. Lots of people want to have movies. I want to have movies and, and TV shows, but I don't have them. Like yeah. you have actually gone the next step and got it done. You got it on Tubi. I look yeah. for more of your work on Tubi, but I don't think people realize just how much goes into having the idea and then seeing it to fruition, actually keeping yeah, it all the way through. So,
2: I mean, you did that. It's hard. I mean, when when I started um, in 2007, the first film I ever worked on was, was this movie called Sweatshop, and I played the killer. And we filmed on weekends for – months i mean i i think i got cast in september or october of 2007 was on set a couple weeks later and then killing raver kids shortly thereafter and then we filmed into january february came back in may did a little bit came back in september did a little bit and then the film you know stacy davidson the director uh, he, you know, was editing it himself, and since we had, like, no money, he would have to do other people's projects, you know, either doing visual effects or editing or camera work or whatever just to make ends meet to pay his bills, and then he would work on Sweatshop a bit. So there was all these people coming to me saying, like, you know, hey, y'all filmed Sweatshop, you know, two, three years ago or whatever. Where Where is it? I was like, you don't understand. And, like, Stacy has not stopped working on it. Right. It's just – it's, that's not paying the bills. So right. when Sweatshop finally came out in 2011, I mean, it had been four years since I had finished my part of filming. And then we finally got released, you know, and it's weird because we still get fans like discovering Sweatshop,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which it's cool for us because it I mean, yeah, it, it didn't become this like huge cult thing i mean at the time we we won tons of awards for the effects um and we you know played like a standing room only show at at robert de niro's tribeca cinemas at the houston or the uh new york city horror film festival you know so we had a lot of cool stuff happen i mean virus magazine in germany voted my character the best villain of 2012 i think and you know uh, Every now and then we'll get new fans, you know, um, it's especially funny when I engage in comment sections on YouTube and stuff because people don't think I am who I am and they want to argue with me about it. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, it's it's extraordinarily hard and it's even harder when we're having to compete with the Disney's and the, you know, Ghost House and Blumhouse and all these bigger studios that, That yeah, I mean... We made, we made pickaxe for a very, very little budget. Um, It it looks a lot bigger and slicker than what we spent on it, Hmm. but everybody has no problems downloading it illegally because Hmm. they think that we're Disney, Hmm. but that's not the case at all. I mean, you said that you guys have seen pickaxe on Tubi, which is great, we didn't really get money for it being out there, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the support. That we, yeah. The support you that we get. Yeah.
0: You know why I saw it on there? Because IMBD told me to. Yeah. Oh yeah. Was-
2: oh yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm happy. It's on to me. I'm, and I'm sure that I say we don't make money off of it, but I mean, it's a little, you know, Um, the truth of the matter is that, you know, getting the budgets together is, just the first part. Well, okay, creating the the original idea is the first part, which can be its own struggle. Mm -hmm. Getting the money to make the movie is another struggle. And then seeing it through to the finish line is yet another struggle. And then getting it released is another struggle. And then making a living or making any kind of profit or making any kind of money is a struggle. So when you have people, I mean, I've had people come up to me hey you know where can i torrent your film and i'm like please don't torrent my film oh god like, please do not do that like if you're going to stream it anywhere go to one of the legal sites and Tubi be is 100 percent a legal site do not get me wrong yeah so i am grateful for those streams but i mean we're talking it's not we're talking like fractions of cents. you know that wind up coming back um but You know, obviously the the biggest way, best way to support us is to, you know, buy the DVDs from us when we're at a convention, you know, uh, talk to us and just, you know, help pitch in for food. You know, like that's that's the big thing right now. Like what I was saying about being a one man kind of operation is I'm literally coordinating with my caterer. To make sure that everyone has food while we're filming and that's not cheap at all but i don't want to be that guy that's on a set that's like okay well everybody's having pizza every single day because it's five bucks at little caesar's i mean yeah that's great but it's not really conducive to work so that's that means we have to spend money especially for your actors it might be a lot of sound effects (laughs) oh yeah yeah. yeah well and and even just for me personally Breaking for lunch and eating anything and then having to crank back up after lunch mm-hmm. is just miserable. You know, like when I'm in a creative groove, I just want to keep going. Like, let's just keep shooting. You know, of course, my body then tells me, no, sit your ass down and and have something to eat, you know. But I just I want to keep pushing, you know. But you can't do that to everybody. You know, like you have to feed your crew like it. No one is making you know tons of money on on these films so you have got to treat your people with respect you have to honor their schedule where they are and you have to feed them you know because if you can't pay them a you know a living wage especially right now with gas being as high as it is my god um at the very least you need to feed them right and and don't just feed them little caesars you know, like feed them decent food that's gonna be somewhat nutritious. You know, like it's, yeah. it's. But yeah, it's it's the hardest work I've ever done, but it's also the most fun and the most rewarding. You know, and I don't wanna sound like a gloomy Gus and be like all doom and gloom about this stuff because it is absolutely rewarding and absolutely the most fun I've had with my pants on anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Although sometimes not so much, uh, but yeah, it's it's very 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 grueling hard work.
1: So let me, let me ask you this then. Um, so your pickaxe in particular, since that's the one I've watched, yes, is yes. very sex and horror. So that yes. that's, that's our thing very much so. There's there's tits at one minute and thirteen seconds. <laughs>
0: <in>. Yes. <laughs> and
1: there's a pair of tits, and then we go right into a sex scene. I was like, okay. Yes. We don't get we don't have to watch very far before we get there and then around four minutes and 42 seconds is the first violence, blood and beheading and all that going on. So I was like, yeah, we're in there, baby. So what I was wondering is, um, you know, since there this is an indie project, so it's a smaller budget than a big film. um, uh, are, Are you are you? How are you getting the women and and everybody to get naked for <laughs> pizza?
0: I was gonna ask, you, <laughs> are they strippers? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> like, Actually,
2: it's are... it's funny on on pickaxe. Most of the women that that show their breasts in in pickaxe are just women that I've known forever. I mean, some of them were fetish models. Um, some of them were just, you know,
0: bush. It wasn't just boobs.
2: Yeah. Okay. So the bush, so Kiefer, Kiefer, the lovely woman who did show her full bush, we had a funny conversation about that. Um, Because I was all for, you know, whatever she had going on um, for her big, fully nude scene. And she said, well, if this movie is set in the 80s, it's going to be a full bush, right? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, you're you're right. Most likely it would be a full bush so we actually had to shoot that scene three separate times we we shot it one weekend we had some kind of technical glitch i had to come back and reshoot it a month or two later same uh, not the exact same technical glitch but we had another glitch and then the third time finally we got it right and afterwards she was like are we done with the bush and I was like, yeah, like, we're, we're wrapped with that. She was like, okay. So she literally sprinted across the field where we were shooting that scene and went to the bathroom and just shaved that shit off, you know? she was like, I raised it to the earth. I'm done with that. Uh, but yeah, um, so Michelle Jones, who was the, the lovely young woman in the opening, um, she grew up with dual citizenship um America and England if i'm not mistaken so she had a very european sensibility about right. nudity um okay. and she was just like hey she had, she had done uh, a couple things with playboy before okay. um and so she was just like yeah it's it's not a problem um but as much nudity as we had on set and uh, there is a lot of nudity um, i treat those scenes very respectfully, um, you know, one thing that, that people know me as this public persona on Facebook as being this very pervy, sex positive dude. And I 100 uh, percent am. But also when it comes to working on set, that shit is professionally done. You know, like I don't mess around like we've I've had looky lose like want to catch a glimpse of someone when they're shooting a nude scene and i'm like i don't play that like look if you're if you're not essential to the scene and by that i mean you're not directing it you're not you know the sound recordist you're not the camera op you're not my first ad you're not the person responsible for bringing the robe in or and the actor on camera get out like period full stop and then what whoever is in the compromising position whether it be just nudity or a simulated sex scene i work out with them and say look we're going to have um safe words if uh if things get too intense and you're just really uncomfortable with the amount of people on you and the lights and the camera and all that say the safe word i call cut and we turn around and let you get your composure and we move on you know, because there's no there's nothing worse than having someone who is just absolutely uncomfortable being on set. And I've been in situations where there have been guys or girls can be creepy, too, that will make comments and make the actors uncomfortable. And you just you can't you can't have that. You know, yeah, I mean, it, it's all it's all fun. And, you know, we laugh and everything. But, you know, I get you. Th- these people are putting themselves in a very vulnerable position. Right. Right you know, so you have to treat things very respectfully, and in fact, with this new movie that I'm making, Hellfire, it's got a ton of sleazy scenes. There, there is a scene. Uh,
0: Penises. Uh, yeah,
2: that's the I'm, question. So there's definitely man ass. Um, well, I'm working. I'm working on getting some hanging dong. Um, <laughs> just because I, I'm with you, I'm like, we've got tons of women. That are naked in all these films. Every once in a while you'll you'll see a dude's ass, but you don't see a lot of penis. Unless, okay, so Sean Donahue with Gator Blade films, like their niche is very much you'll see dong. You know? <laughs> um they have no shame whatsoever in in that being a part of their of their films. And I'm like, I I think that's great, you know. I mean, I'm a a heterosexual male, um, so it's I'm not going to be turned on by seeing a man's junk, but at the same time, like I'm there. Better watchers job.
0: because the women will be coming.
2: Right, <laughs> and and you know, and the gay fans too. Like bring them on. Like I will take all fans that I possibly can. So I, I'm all for equal opportunity nudity. Yeah. That being said, it is a lot easier to get women willing to do topless or full nudity than it is to get a guy in most instances. And again, I'm generalizing here, but it is usually easier to get a woman willing to do it than it is to get a guy willing to even show his butt. Um and I'm not sure why that is.
0: Well you know Uh, in Hollywood they say they they all have prosthetics. And every time you see a penis in a big film, it's not a real one. For the
2: most part, yeah.
0: That's just the wild. They're,
1: they're always wanting to send them to you in the DM, so you think they'd be ready to just bear it all. let see it. But yeah. that,
2: it's, it's like a rapist. It's the power thing. You know, uh, it's not about the sex. It's about, hey, look at what I've got. You know, I'm of the mind of like, look, if you want to see my junk, you can ask me. I probably won't show it to you unless I'm interested in you. But um, yeah, I don't get the whole dick pic mentality. Yeah. Body. It's it's just well, now it's it,
0: illegal. You ass can go to jail. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, which we're grateful yeah. for.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I do I, I do remember asking for one.
2: <laughs> was, I mean, don't get me wrong.
1: That was I've sent
2: them. I have sent them. I, but I've I've sent them with you know people that were either trusted friends who wanted to see it or people that I was sexually interested in or romantically interested in or they were partners or whatever, you know, and I, I'm poly. So like I, you know, at at any given time might have more than one romantic partner. Currently I only have one romantic partner and that's perfectly fine because I'm really, really, really busy with this film. So I'm not interested in, in really expanding on that right now, but there have been plenty of people that have seen my junk, but I'm not the one to go showing it to just random people. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't get, what I mean, again, it's a power thing for them. They, that's yeah. what gets them off, you know. And I'm like, there's so many ways to go about legal exhibitionism. Like, right. go to a nude beach. I mean, I know a nude beach is not inherently yeah. sexual, you know. But if you're all about the exhibitionism, then you know, maybe try something like that. You know, if you're literally, har- you know, harassing a woman or a man, or whoever, with a picture of your junk that's unsolicited, like you're a piece of yes. shit you know just um, full stop you
1: know for real i I used to tell them look um well it it was a bunch of different things depending on what my mood was but one of my favorite things to say and now i see that it's memed all the time but you know instead of sending a picture why don't you send a move a a video with you moaning like we would appreciate that a whole lot more
0: (laughs) than just a still image what am i supposed to do with that right <laughs> my husband my husband tries to take the awful like most disgusting dick pics. <laughs> <laughs> go, oh god i never want to look at that thing again like
1: and then other that shit to me. other times i actually started sending them back like i go yeah. dig pickins and send them, like oh gee thanks how about this one and I yeah one, like, it just depending on what my mood was but just, i yeah i, I, well, not, agree, well, not, I think well, not, it was a controlled thing A uh, 100
2: that's all it is
0: you just need to find some European dudes that are don't care about being naked. I, That's
2: I a good idea. Yeah, because
0: the, <laughs> the one that I
1: that I did ask, I mean, he was respectful with it. He was like, you know, he went into he he you know he 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 was very suggestive, mm. I should say. And then I was like, you know what, I want to see that, <laughs> so <laughs> I went ahead and asked, and he was he was right. He was one hundred percent, but he was he was uh, in the UK
2: uh yeah i mean and their stance on on nudity and sex in general in europe is is way more progressive than it is here right. you know but think at the same time like violence there is treated very differently like the the i believe it's the german cut of sweatshop has all of the violence removed um huh? to the point where i've actually had german fans message me and say, you know, I got my copy of Sweatshop from Austria because they're next-door neighbors, and Austria has the full sex, the full violence. Germany has none of the violence, which I'm interested to see the German cut because I I think I may have seen a couple of scenes of the German cut where it literally fades out before any of the violence, which is so bizarre to me. But meanwhile, you can basically shit in someone's mouth and that's perfectly acceptable, but, yeah. <laughs> but don't show a fake person being killed, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, but again, like, look at our, our values in America with, with regards to guns and, and such, you know, like we're so desensitized and backwards when it comes to that shit right now. And, yeah. you know, th- there's actually a moment after the, U- the Uvalde shooting, um, where I had a moment where I'm like, am I adding to the problem by making violent entertainment. And it's the first time in my career that I've had that thought. I mean, normally I'm just like, whatever, like violent entertainment doesn't make violent people do violent things. It just, it's just the world, you know? So this was the first time where I actually like paused for two seconds. I mean, I'm still gonna make my violent movies, Yeah. but I, I do, lose sleep occasionally yeah. uh, wondering well, I, if I I'm adding to that.
0: Yeah, I feel like your genre is very much uh, like as far as since I was a kid, they were the, the movies that the dads like to watch, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like just slashers, scream queen, tits everywhere, you know, like yeah. that's just like a genre of horror that everybody knows that that's just, you know, it's just part of yeah, horror.
2: Yeah. For me, like, it was always like a roller coaster, you know, like you'd go to a movie with tits and ass and blood and all that. And it was, you know, you'd laugh and you'd scream and you'd laugh and you'd scream and you'd have that kind of cathartic, you know, up and down and all that. And I still feel that way. You know, like I very much enjoy my violent content. I do not want anyone telling me that I can't have it. Uh, so I'm, I'm very, um, I don't know. It's just, it's weird. I've, like I said, I've never actually sat and wondered if I was adding to any kind of problem. And I think ultimately I'm not, you know, b- because I know where my head is at and I know where I'm coming from when I make this kind of content and it helps me deal with grief and loss yes and uh the fucked up world that we have um mm-hmm. you know it just it allows me to kind of deal with it in a in a safer manner but you know i'm not i'm not the same filmmaker now that i was when i made pickaxe i mean we shot pickaxe in 2013 and 14 and you know i i had just gone through a really bad divorce um And, and had another relationship completely implode while we were in pre-production. And then once we were done, I struggled with a really bad alcohol problem. Um, And so this is the first feature I've done since I've kind of moved away from all of those demons. That being said, um, I lost my baby sister in January of 2021. And. It rocked me to my core. I mean, I'm 45 now. She was 41 when she passed. And she was two years younger than me. And um, it's just, it's weird for me because this will be my first project where I haven't been able to talk to her about it. I mean, I'm still going to talk to her. I don't believe in... The afterlife necessarily. I don't believe in a higher power, but I know that I'll get some semblance of peace by talking to her. Um, but this, this will definitely be a different experience for me than when I made pickaxe and any of the other stuff I've done, because I'm just, I'm a different person now, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm still going to make my tits and blood action movies. You know, um, I mean, hellfire is 100% action, exploitation, over the top, boobs, blood, all that. Um, And it's gonna be fun, but I'm just going to come at it from a different way. You know, um, we are made up of our experiences and the people that we know and love. And I'm just a very different person than I was when we made Pickaxe. So it'll be interesting, you know, especially because I didn't run my own camera or anything like that on Pickaxe. I was just the writer director, and I had people that lit, you know, lit the movie and shot it and edited it, scored it, all that stuff. This one, I'm shooting it myself with my own gear. Um, I have a great crew that are going to help bring it to life, but at the end of the day, this all lands on my shoulders. So uh, it'll be. It'll be interesting to see how how this shakes out.
0: That's
1: that's exciting though. Yeah, absolutely. Jeremy, where are you filming Hellfire? Um,
2: most mostly in Houston. Um,
1: really I will volunteer to be um to work to to be on your uh, production. Okay. What what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I mean I did um I did I was a production assistant on a reality show, but I would okay, really okay. like to be you know on something more you know fictional theme you know yeah in, me, but I,
2: we always need help that's the thing especially on a micro budget film like this yeah, um right. you know where where you can't really like go and spend money to hire right quote-unquote professionals you know um we're kind of all robbing peter to pay paul yes. you know and we're all wearing nine ten twenty hats especially yeah me lately um i mean i'm even funding a large chunk of this out of my own pocket to make yeah. sure that you know people are fed and you know effects uh, equipment is bought and and you know um ma- you make sure that you know people get flown in and and put up at an airbnb and that sort of stuff and meanwhile i'm not getting paid because i'm the one paying uh, a lot of it you know i mean we did have uh, a fundraiser you know we we raise a good bit of money for that, but the rest of the budget is c- literally coming out of my own pocket. Um but yeah, we're we're filming between June twentieth and July tenth is when we wrap. We've got a few days off here and there. This is also the first time I've actually shot a project in that short a time frame. Like I said, usually we're, we're filming on the weekends and it's, you know, Oh, well, we'll do this weekend and then we'll raise some money. And a month later we'll go and, and shoot another weekend. And and the process just drags out and drags out and drags out. This one is 18 days and yeah. you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll have a couple days, you know, a month later or something where we do some pickup shots or effects inserts or any of that stuff that we may have missed during production. But for the most part, it's run and gun 18 days um and it was supposed to be 14 days and thankfully my crew were like hey can we add a few because that's a lot to do in 18 or in 14 days um,
1: that set experience is invaluable
2: it really is and you know like i said i've been doing this since 2007 i've worked on a lot of different people sets you know and i've done everywhere from you know i was ad for my buddy marcus on uh his batman fan film which everybody should go and check out it's called the bat last laugh um it's really excellent he took a lot of time and and really made it cool looking it's very reminiscent of like the batman animated series and Joker Safi plays the joker and he's an excellent take on it um i've done that and i've been a pa i've i've just been a writer and just produced and i was a line producer on a couple stuff you know things and i've directed a whole bunch of shit so you know um It's Yeah, like you said, set experience is invaluable. And I'm always open to bringing on new people. I mean, there are some jobs that you should not do as a first-timer on a set. It's funny. that I forget who says it now. But there's some quote that's basically akin to there's only two jobs that you can get on a film set with zero experience. And number one is production assistant because it's literally like – anybody going and running coffee and bringing out scripts and all that stuff. And then the second one is director. Like anyone with no experience who says that they're a director can somehow get a job being a director. Um, It's also one of the most difficult jobs, but that's the two that you can get with zero experience. So everybody else, you kind of have to get acclimated to it. You know, you show up on set and then you just find where your niche is. You know, I mean, there are people that, that do nothing but, you know, electric work. And we need that. Like we need people that their sole job is hauling lights off of a truck, setting them up and plugging them in, you Mm -hmm. know, because it, when you don't have a huge crew, um, everything takes 10, 20, 30 times longer, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have to have those people that their sole job is to just do that, you know? So yeah, it's, we're always looking for extra hands, you know, if nothing else, just to take the gear out of the car and go and set it in the location in a corner where we tell you to set it like when I'm like first thing when I get to set and I'm having to haul my own gear, I'm already tired. Then I have to take everything out of the the gear boxes and set them up and then I'm even more tired. Or we still haven't even called action. Yeah. So then by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I don't want to tear my stuff down and then put it back in the boxes and then put it back in the car. Like, I'm totally wiped out by that point. So sometimes yeah. just having someone to take it from the car and put it in a corner, that is huge, you uh-huh. know? And those people, I'm like, look, I will feed you as much as I can. <laughs> I can't really pay you a whole lot, yeah. you know?
1: I know. I know how intense it can be. Uh, so we can we can talk later if you like. Hmm. Uh, so who are your yeah, inspirations? Me What's up? Who are your inspirations?
2: Well, if we're talking film... My yeah. biggest influence is Carpenter. John Carpenter is, for me, the end-all be-all. Um, and it's weird. I never really, like, kind of snapped to that fact until, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And uh, and once I started kind of going back and following the breadcrumbs, I realized, yeah, John Carpenter was, like, my biggest influence. And, of course, I don't think any indie filmmaker, especially on this budget level, um, can't honestly say that they're not influenced by Robert Rodriguez, particularly his book *Rebel Without a Crew*. It is 100% the indie filmmaker's bible. Um, Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Films uh, also wrote an excellent bible for an indie filmmaker called *Make Your Own Damn Movie*. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know Lloyd is, God, he's in his 70s and he's still got that same independent spirit. And for me, even though. I still feel like I'm in my infancy in my career, you know, I'm a middle-aged man. So the idea of me being Lloyd's age and still doing things on that scale is terrifying, but exciting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's a big influence, especially in the last few years, because I've got some buddies that have worked on trauma films and, they've all come away with like this renewed sense of like guerrilla DIY kind of ethos, like a punk rock style of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And that's hugely inspirational to me. Um, Yeah. So like those three are probably the biggest ones at least right now. And of course, Quentin Tarantino. I mean, like everybody loves Quentin movies, Um, but yeah, Carpenter Rodriguez in particular are, uh, are huge. Plus I, like, I know so many filmmakers like on, On this kind of micro budget level, like Josh Stifter, um, who directed this movie called The Good Exorcist, he was on Robert Rodriguez's uh, reality show a few years ago called Rebel Without a Crew, the series, and he was given 14 days and $7,000, just like Robert had when he made Ella Mariachi. So Josh was one of five filmmakers that were on the reality show and were making their own $7,000, 14-day feature film. And I through watching the reality show, I became really enamored with Josh's sensibilities, especially his sense of humor. And through Facebook, uh, Josh and I became friends and he had me on his podcast, um, unfortunately, shortly before my sister passed. But. That was that was one of the most fun conversations I think I've ever had talking with another filmmaker, because You know, this was somebody who was on a reality show and and made his film the way he wanted to. And he was doing it like he like he he did it, you know, and even though I have been at this since 2007, there's still that little bit of imposter syndrome that I've had, you know, like, you know, even when I've had my stuff featured in Fangoria magazine that I've been reading since I was a kid, there's still that little voice in my head that says you're still not a legit filmmaker and josh never once made me feel like i was anything other than a peer and he he was like you ladies he watched pickaxe before we did the show and he just had nothing but great things to say about how fun the movie was and i was like holy shit like maybe i am onto something you know really so loved,
0: um the scene of, of all the uh, musicians getting murdered. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's I was funny. like,
0: "You that horrible wig. That's a bad
2: wig." <laughs> <laughs> well, and and every, there it's funny because there there's people that don't really get that scene. Like they'll they'll look at the the bad lip syncing and the bad miming and and think that I'm just like a shit filmmaker. And I'm like, well, then you don't get it because it's cl- it's very much an homage to friday the 13th part two when there's a band in a bar and they clearly do not know what they're doing with their instruments and i was like that's the spirit that i'm going for and it's funny because it felt very- on hellfire what's that
0: i said that part did feel very campy and it was great
2: yeah well yeah and, and you know like pickaxe is not supposed to be a serious movie at all i mean i've i've had people call it a parody which is not true i mean it is very much a love letter for me but we didn't originally shoot it as pickaxe. We we shot it as as the pickaxe murders part three, the final chapter. Like it was supposed to be mm-hmm. a sequel to a movie that, that never existed. And so, see, that's the thing when you when you know that you look at it in different with different eyes, right? Uh, I was just talking with someone today uh, on TikTok. There was this woman who she had watched a movie uh, a few nights prior but she couldn't remember the name of it to save her life and she was asking all of her followers to help her figure out this this movie and she was describing all these scenes and my friend my friend Rebecca Reinhardt who's also a filmmaker she messages me and says hey do, are you on TikTok I said well I am but I rarely use it why and she goes i want to tag you in something so that video, the woman was describing Pickaxe, <laughs> and so Rebecca tagged me and said, "So this movie is called Pickaxe, and my buddy Jeremy wrote and directed it." <laughs> so this girl and I start talking, and she's like, "Oh my god, I feel like such an asshole because, you know, here I am, you know, talking about this movie and I can't remember the name of it, and I keep saying that it's good-ish, and I'm like, no, 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 like it's totally fine. Like I've I've read some really hilarious, like shitty reviews of Pickaxe, and it's yeah. fine." Um, The only reviews that ever bother me are the ones where it's clear they just don't get what I was going for, you know, Um, because like I said, it was supposed to be a sequel to a movie that didn't exist. And when (laughs) when we were casting, we had. um, uh, Oh, by the way, Living Dead Delilah is the TikTok person that I'm talking about. Um, But when we were casting Pickaxe, I would ask the people that I was auditioning. Have you seen Pickaxe? part one and two <laughs> and mo- it was a test most everybody said no i i've never i've never seen them um I, i'll happily go and rent them you know and and there were some people that uh they were just like oh yeah i've heard of it but i haven't actually watched it um there was one girl who uh and i wish i could remember who it was she told me yeah i yeah i've, I've seen it and i was like what was your favorite scene?" Oh, just because I, I wanted to trip people up, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, my, my initial idea for Pickaxe, when I, like, before I ever even was in Sweatshop, I had the idea for Pickaxe, because um, everybody came to me and said, like, hey, when are you going to direct your own film? And I remembered something that Robert Rodriguez had said, uh, that everybody has about 20 bad films in them. It's best to just go ahead and get those out of the way, yep. and then go on and make your next one. So I thought, well... If I'm gonna make a movie, if everyone's gonna think it's bad, then I might as well make it purposely bad, right? So the initial idea, which became Pickaxe, was uh, a sequel to a movie that never existed. And I was like, I'll just, I'll go out and shoot it like super, super cheap with like some friends on the weekend or something. And I'll, I'll have boom mics in the shots and stuff. And I just won't care about continuity and, and blah, blah, blah. And then we went off and made Sweatshop, and then I got kind of tired of of doing slasher movies, so I went and made my first feature, which was a very dark, dramatic horror movie um, about teen pregnancy and religion and all sorts of stuff. I tried to be hitty and dramatic, and it just i I failed on every level. But uh, after that, we did a photo shoot uh, very inspired by. Uh, the Slumber Party Massacre artwork, which is very iconic. It's two women, or more than that, it's the few women like in their lingerie at a slumber party, and there's a a guy's legs kind of you know above them, and a drill, very you know very much an innuendo uh, for these virginal women, and so I did a photo shoot with that in mind, and I I instead I had a pickaxe. And uh, actually, I don't even think it was a pickaxe. I think it was some other kind of similar tool. And in fact, I've had people yell at me that that's not a pickaxe. That's a magic (laughs) Like, I don't give a shit. Like, nerd, shut up. Um, (laughs) So we did that photo shoot. And my buddy, Mark Schoenbach, who is a poster artist, was looking for more stuff to work on just to get practice. And so I sent him those photos and said, do whatever you want with it and i and i told him the idea of the title the pickaxe murders three the final chapter Mm -hmm. and he came back with this poster that just looked cheesy and great and i kind of forgot about it months later he asked me if he can feature it in an article that fangoria magazine is doing on him and i was like yeah sure just you know let them know it's concept art it's not like a legit thing I forget about it again for a couple of months and then my brother calls me up because Fangoria has run it as a full page ad in their in their magazine. Oh jeez. And I'm like, "Oh my god, like this is not even a movie. Like what are people talking about?" So, I immediately had to finish a script because I had people calling me up saying, "I want to see this movie." So, I had to like cobble something together in a hurry. And then we were off to the races and making the movie and then yeah, we finished it up and then a couple years later it finally got released and again they they changed the title to Pickaxe which was fine because we called it that on set anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh we called it that or some people called it PAM for Pickaxe Murders. But I I didn't care really what title it was going to go under because it's the same movie. But I feel like now, especially after the discussions I had with some people on TikTok today, we kind of almost did a bit of a disservice by not treating it like a sequel to a movie that didn't exist and not marketing it as such because there are a lot of horror fans that get that joke. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Like back in the eighties, Bill Cosby made a movie called Leonard part six. There was no Leonard part one, two, three, four, five, you know, like, so there was a precedent for it. And, but you know, it's whatever. I mean, the movie is out there. People, I mean, there are, fans of it you know which i love because they get the joke they get you know and i've been called out for all of the references to other slasher movies and i'm like you don't you don't get it like they're they're in there on purpose right i i it's not that i was lazy it's that i wanted to show my love and affection for slasher movies like every single character in that movie is named after an actor or a, or a filmmaker that had something to do with the eighties slasher boom, you know, every single one of them. Um, I mean, Tiffany Shepes's character is Adrian Palmer. It's Adrian King from Friday the 13th and Betsy Palmer, Mrs. Voorhees from Friday the 13th. Like her first and last name is the two actresses from Friday the 13th, you know? But ever there's people that are like, oh, well, he just put in too many references. And I'm like, no, I wanted to have a love letter to the movies that I grew up on. And that's oh, how any, I, that way. Anybody, um you
1: anybody that gets it gets it. I mean, you your fans are your fans. Yeah. And I do love about horror filmmakers, because I remember somebody saying this in a a panel discussion once and I can't remember their name. Uh, but they said that um horror filmmakers don't take themselves seriously. No. And, we and take I feel so. like that is a, that is, um, that's a good thing. That is, that is a great aspect of horror filmmakers. Not taking yourself fun. so seriously, so it's fun.
2: If you think about it, humanity is pretty dumb. I mean, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, I, again, I don't subscribe to religion or, or spirituality or any of that stuff, but if there were a creator... They fucked up. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we fart, we shit, we piss, we puke, you know, I mean, like, we are some dumb animals. You know what I mean? Like, this is not the the work of a, a creator, a, a an all powerful knowing, you know, entity, you know, yeah. uh, and so the idea that people take themselves seriously is just mind boggling to me. Like, OK, you could take your work your life seriously, but none of us get out of this alive. Right. You know, like we are all headed speeding, careening out of control towards an end. And none of us know when it's coming. Right. So stop being so fucking serious all the time and just relax and lighten up a little bit and realize how stupid humanity really is. You know, you know, George Carlin said it best, like think of the average person and how stupid they are. And then realize that half the people are even dumber.
0: <laughs> so yeah, a lot in the in the writer community, you always need to write your books so that um, preschoolers is it preschool or junior high? Like you need to like have graders, it a, like a fifth grader. like a fifth like, yeah, up. so they could understand. Like that's that's and that's for adult, not for children. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well,
1: um, how many scripts do you have
2: written? Oh God! Um, like, are we? Are you asking how many I have written over yep. the course of my career?
1: Yeah,
2: I, I couldn't even tell you. I mean, it's it's a lot. Um, yeah. The ones I'm that actually- I actually have like ready to make something of is a much 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 smaller subset. Um, I have two probably three feature feature-length scripts right now that are probably relatively ready to go and like shoot. Um, I mean, obviously I'm not counting Hellfire because I didn't come up with the original version and we are shooting it in two weeks. Um, but beyond that, uh, my buddy Garrett Hargrove and I have collaborated on a couple of scripts. Um, he he's a fantastic writer based out of Austin. He wrote this rape revenge uh, movie called Cherry Bomb starring one of the the lead or one of the actresses from sweatshop um and he also wrote this really hysterically funny uh mashup of office space and friday the 13th called axe murdering with hackley which i believe it's streaming on amazon prime it's about a bunch of like blue or white collar serial killer types that work in an like a cubicle farm and they go out and they, like, stalk people and kill them. And then if they die, they resurrect at the office. It's so bonkers. And <laughs> it's just crazy. um But he and I have collaborated on a couple of scripts. Um, there's a mock trailer that I put out a couple of years ago called Cannibal Call Girls from Hell. He actually helped me write a feature-length version of it. Um, I mean, we've still got, you know, a couple of passes that we probably need to do before we're ready to, like, seriously consider making it a thing and then i have a strippers versus satanic snot monsters movie that i've been wanting to do for about 10 years which will probably be my next feature after hellfire um, called another night at beavers and that one i i had basically kind of paused my film career i wasn't sure if i was going to get back to it but when wes craven passed that kind of kicked me in the ass and said you know what i need to at least finish that script so that script is done but it's just one of those where I have to do it right um, before I try and actually make it a thing. And Garrett and I have also collaborated on another, uh, it's a wrestling horror movie. Um, I don't want to say the title because it's, it's too good and I don't want someone to steal it before we have a chance to finish it. Um, We've got kind of a rough first draft of it, but it's, you know, it needs work obviously. Um, And then I've got, half finished scripts you know floating around here you know i say floating around they're all on a hard drive somewhere um and then you know shorts i mean i've i've written about a half dozen short scripts uh treatments uh i mean various things i've got scraps of paper from years back with ideas for scripts so to actually try and narrow it down to how many like a number i have no idea
1: (laughs) do you want to continue um, making them yourself or do you, I mean, do you ever enter into writing contests? Do you ever try to sell to, um, you know, some Netflix production?
2: You know, I I wouldn't be opposed to writing something for someone else. Um, I've done like little, not really like script writing contests necessarily, but I've done like, um, like there's the 48 hour film race where, you know, where you're like given an assignment and you have, you know, a genre and a character and a, a, uh, a prop that you have to use. Then you have 48 hours to write, shoot, direct, edit this short film. I've done things similar to that with just writing where you're literally like, you know, you have a weekend and you have to write like a six page script You know and i've i've gotten some decent feedback doing that you know but i that's a lot of pressure but at the same time it also gives me some kind of focus to get something done because i'm my own worst enemy when i sit down to write writer's block is a very real thing and i'll wind up writing for hours and then i'll go back and read it which i know you're not supposed to do i'll read it and be like this sucks and i'll change everything you know so doing those kinds of races and those contests and stuff definitely keeps me motivated and gives me a, a way to like, say, look, it's not precious. Just get it finished. So in that respect, yeah, I would definitely be open to writing something to pitch for Netflix or, or whatever. Um, but at the same time, if it's something that I come up with, I get real precious with it and say, no, like no one else can touch this. You know, this is mine and I'll have to do it my way, which is why it's interesting that Hellfire has been the way it is because in the beginning it was not mine. You know, it came to me as kind of a work for hire. I mean, Sean Donahue had put a thing out on Facebook saying that he was looking for someone to take a script that he had that was very much um, Andy Sedaris, Russ Meyer type tits and ass and exploitation. And he wanted someone to kind of, you know, take it on and, and produce it, direct it and do everything. And so I took it and I read it and I was like, OK, this is a bit rough, but I think there's something here I can make over time. It's become very much my baby, you know, like that's why I own that credit. Like it is a Jeremy Summerall movie film picture flick, you know, and I will I will fight tooth and nail for that credit. Um, but it, it didn't start out that way. Um it's just become very precious to me. So so yeah, I that's a long way to go around, but <laughs> I I would definitely uh, be up to pitching stuff and letting someone else maybe take something, you know. Or if someone had an idea and they just needed someone to kind of help flesh it out, I'm I'm totally up for that. You know. Oh,
0: cool.
1: Ding 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 ding. I got four scripts. I got six. Oh. <laughs> but then
2: Sometimes that's best, but also that's sometimes like for me, the shorter a script is, the harder it is. Like, the one thing I recognize as a writer is I feel like my weakness is having two characters in a room. Like, that for me is petrifying because you have to make that interesting. If you can't make one or two people in a room interesting, you got trouble. So, for me, that's the kind of thing that I'm like, okay, let me strip away some of these, you know, rules and say, okay, you need to do that and make it interesting. You know, like I know, I recognize, like, I, I would want to say like, oh, let me introduce 10 extra characters so I can have all these weird conversations or drop a monster in there and see what happens. You know, the idea of it being so insular is absolutely terrifying which is why probably the hardest script i've ever had personally was a script that was supposed to be one woman in an apartment Mm -hmm. and i have tried to write that since 2009 uh every every few months i'll come out and i'll i'll come up with ideas for it and i'll write on it for a while and then i'll get disgusted with it and i'll throw it away and i'll start over and i've I've hired or not hired. I've I've tried to collaborate with other writers on it. And like their their input is great. And I'll write on that for a while and then get disgusted with it and throw it away. And it's all because I've put that limitation on myself like it's one woman in an apartment. I mean, yes, there are other things that happen. There are other people that she talks to, but the main singular focus is one woman in an apartment. So I think that is my next big challenge beyond the kind of exploitation films that I, you know, am currently working on. Like I, I branded myself as the exploitation flick maker because that's kind of my bread and butter. But I don't see myself only making those kinds of movies. Like I have a romantic comedy in me, I have a family comedy in me, I have a family drama in me, especially after my sister passed. Like I went through this moment where i was like okay i think i need to write something that's very personal that has to do with my grief on losing my sister i have not sat down and allowed myself to write that yet because i've been so focused on on hellfire in particular um but i'll get to that other side of my career at some point you know but again the clock is ticking um so we'll uh we'll see
1: (laughs) Speaking speaking of short scripts, I thought the opening scene before the credits ro- before the credits started the opening credits in uh, pickaxe I thought was a perfect short film.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's we but, actually shot. Yeah, we shot that opening scene first too. Like that was, <clears throat> we actually shot that months. And we're talking like I think it was m- February or March of 2013. And we didn't do the rest of photography until september october Mm -hmm. we shot that as its own thing um with the intention of it being like kind of our indiegogo pitch video Mm -hmm. and so we had a thing where like hey if you if you donate five dollars we will send you the opening to the movie like Mm -hmm. we've already shot it like and it was uncensored and stuff. And eventually we we put a censored version up on the Indiegogo. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, that was the first scene I came up with for it, you know, because I, I, again, I wanted it to feel like an old slasher movie. And there's always like kind of a prologue with <clears throat> like a, a stinger, you know, with that shot of Alex's hand. But actually there's. A second half of that scene that we never finished, we never actually shot. Um, after Michelle's character uh, kills her boyfriend and resurrects our killer, it wasn't supposed okay. to. Be, it wasn't supposed to just be his hand that popped out. Originally, <clears throat> that was how we were going to like freeze frame, like the Friday the Thirteenth opening and stuff. But the next scene was supposed to be Alec like kind of standing above her as she like kind of lifts the pickaxe to him and like basically pledges her allegiance to him. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he takes the the pickaxe from her and looks at it. And then he does a golf swing up and is supposed to split her up the middle. Mm -hmm. And we just never, we never had the time or the money to film it. Um, (laughs) Thankfully, no one has ever asked what happened to the girl in the opening
0: i I assume she got killed
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and she actually we we have her corpse in towards the end in like the big body pile that's that's in the woods like it's very it's a quick shot um but that was the intention was yes he murdered her and dumped her out in the middle of the woods but there's a movie uh wrong turn two that joe lynch directed where uh, Kimberly Caldwell, I think was her name. She was one of the American Idol contestants back then. Um, She's like like on on the phone with her agent and she gets stopped by one of the inbred mutants from Wrong Turn and he splits her down the middle with an ax from the top. Well, of course I was like, let me subvert that and have him do a golf swing up. And considering she's standing there naked, clearly he penetrates her and keeps going Mm -hmm. that was my my like big oh shit moment Mm -hmm. we just never had the time or the money to pull it off so we just never shot it (laughs) but i that's one thing i really wish like if we had had the chance to go back and put any money into that movie that that scene would have been it and there's another scene we never shot that was just another couple of people having sex and dying but it was very subverted and i don't want to say what it was because i may use it in another script but if anybody has seen friday the 13th part five there's a scene that's kind of anachronistic it's these two greaser types that are like working on their car And they, they look like they stepped out of the fifties or something. And the, it's not Jason in Friday five spoiler alert, but he comes up and kills one of them with a road flare and then kills the other one with like a, uh, I think a hacksaw to the neck or something. Um, But that scene was pretty much beat for beat. A scene that we had in the original pickaxe script that we just never shot. And the reason why is because due to the content of the scene, I could not find anyone willing to audition for it. Uh, We, I actually, I did wind up having one person agree to audition for it. If they could change some of the dialogue. And I was like, no, no, no. Like you don't understand. Like it's played for humor. Like it's played for humor. It's not, I mean, yes, it's offensive, but it's not as offensive as you think it is. Um, But yeah, so we just we never found anyone willing to, you know, have the balls, so to speak, to uh, to uh, film that scene. So we we never did, unfortunately, but I'm sure it'll resurface in another script somewhere. There you go. Well, we've kept
0: you quite, yeah. quite a bit
1: of time now, sir. We've been yeah. over an hour here, but it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I have,
2: um, I've had fun, and I I yeah. ramble like crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you have a wealth of information inside you that you need I to try. get out, too. So we really appreciate your time and, and for working with us, the patience you gave us in the beginning when we were trying to yeah. get our technical stuff together. Hey,
2: technology, I'm telling you, like I said, it's a necessary evil. I, yeah. It's all all good
1: (laughs) and and i'm i'm glad that we finally had a chance to talk to you after meeting you last year and look forward to seeing you in another couple of well another month right
2: yeah 24th i think july somewhere somewhere there scott would probably kill me scott fontanelle he's he's gonna wind up doing a lot of the driving for us for for (laughs) hellfire and he's also prepping houston horror film festival and other shit so it's like we're all juggling like 900 things right now so Right. Yeah. Eventually we will we'll learn and start passing stuff off to other people. Yeah. Good luck to you with
1: Hellfire. Yes. And if I can help in any way, you know, we can talk about that. Um yeah. I I believe in your project and I want the best for it and I want the experience. Yeah. Um, also we have a and an open mic coming up June 23rd. He may be on set though. Oh, okay. He's going to be on set.
2: Well, June, actually June I'm trying to remember because the first few days we're on location in LaGrange so I'm like going to be out in the middle of nowhere and then we're back in Houston but like super early mornings at this uh, hookah lounge that's going to be our strip club in the movie So like, and the 23rd I think is right in that area so it's like, yeah, I'm probably going to be dead
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no worries on that but um after Hellfire, you know, maybe you can come back um when you're sure. working. Well, we talked the we talked about Hellfire a lot. So maybe the next part you have after that. Yeah, and, yeah um, absolutely. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. Can so you much. plug, um, tell everybody where they can find you in the socials?
2: Yeah, so like everybody else, I'm on Facebook. You can look me up. Uh my production company is first week of winter films. I have a, a page on Facebook there. Uh, I also have an Instagram, First Week of Winter Films, um, and I am on TikTok apparently now. Um, uh-huh. I, I think my TikTok is J.N. Um real uh, real inventive there. But I'm also, you know, I have a personal Facebook page as well. And my filmmaker page is Jeremy Sumrall, Texploitation Flickmaker. So anybody can look at me on Facebook in, in all my, you know, sweaty, bearded glory.
1: well thank you so much and good luck with everything look forward to seeing you soon
2: thank you ladies i've had a blast
1: Awesome. awesome
2: yep good
1: night night